My name is Janice B. Gordon and this is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 43 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn Sales as one of 15 innovating sales influencers to follow. In today's episode of Scale Your Sales Podcast, we talk to um, a really lovely gentleman who is putting more back into his community in terms of creating an interview course to help other people really navigate the process if they've been laid off and they need to get back in into work what they he's been on the side of recruitment so he actually knows what what people are looking for and wanted to support more people he's involved in sales enablement and oh, such a cool guy loved his his answers everything he he said honestly i feel so relaxed and confident <laughs> You're going to love this interview and learn so much from him. My next guest is an experienced revenue leader and holistic career coach with diverse experiences in politics, academia and tech sales. His career brings powerful insights, whether running for state senate at the age of 24, wow, to generating more than 10 million in revenue. He recently launched Story Selling, the interview course. So welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Blake Hudson. Hi there, Janice. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've been following for a long time online. So it's been great, uh, you know, finally getting you on the podcast, which is fantastic. <laughs> so tell me, first of all, about why you created the interview course, because it's kind of a little bit of a diversion from being in sales enablement. Why you felt it was so important to do this? Um, you know, growing up in the community I did, I was someone who started to understand that uh, everybody's going through some kind of struggle and you can allow that struggle to define your environment, define your circumstances, or you can choose to be a resource, a positive light in those difficult circumstances. And so born out of that experience was this kind of idea of help where you've hurt. If I've experienced a certain pain point, then I might be able to assist those who might be a step or two behind me. Expertise is relative. So regardless, you know, regarding what you might be teaching or coaching or sharing, if you can find someone who might be a step or two behind and you've struggled that way, you can reach back and help. And so having been someone who was laid off and um, gone through that experience, I understood the pain and the isolation and the confusion that can come with, you know, interview prep and interview performance. Um, but also as someone who's been a hiring manager who's been in hundreds, if not a thousand interview settings in his career, um, I understand too what they're looking for, what skills need to be showcased during an interview. So those two things together combined for a really cool project that I probably spent over a year, you know, really planning and kind of percolating and, and, uh, and I'm really grateful that it was created. So I think it's wonderful that you're, you're doing that because not everyone has the uh, well, first of all, it's the physical, geographical opportunities. 
But then also it's in terms of the kind of mindset opportunities. I mean, I I was told I was not intelligent enough to do A-levels, you know, to move on and advance. And they blocked my way. I'm actually more qualified than that person ever would be. You know, that kind of created a bit of a determination. But it all, for a lot of people, it holds you back, you know, so that you don't go forward because someone judges you that way. So, you know, when you're in an environment where things are, um, uh, you know, you're not naturally exposed to that, you often need someone to give you a helping hand to actually say you can do it. And this is the way to do it. This is, may not be something that you've been told in your environment, but there is an access point and I'm providing that that for you. So I think it's great that you're you're doing that for, for other people. But also the other point I wanted to make, it's really important that you're visible, that I'm visible, that, you know, women, diversity, that we are visible because it's uh, there's an untold influence that you can have just by mm-hmm. being you and being visible, not doing anything any different, just showing right. people that it's possible. Um, right. So I, I I really commend you and and, and love what you, you're doing, Blake. Thank you. I appreciate that. And your point about representation is really well received. I know that I wouldn't be a content creator had it not been for seeing people like Morgan Ingram or Nikki Ivey and what they put together with their brand. So I 100% agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So in terms of, you know, the... Um, what you do, one of the aspects of, of what you do is in terms of emails and helping people to understand the pain points, but also writing that into uh, the email so that they're not all solutions focused. How do you go about doing this? Well, I think that good emails are a combination of three things, personalization, relevance and novelty. And when you have any of those three living independent of the other two, um, that's where emails start to get wonky. People will spend a lot of time trying to personalize an email only to put, hey, I saw you went to the University of Michigan. It's like, yes, that is somewhat personalization. But I think true personalization is when you can communicate something that is only meant for them. They can't read it and think this could be applied to 40,000 other people, but just that individual person. Um, relevance is going to be being able to tie that personal information to the relevance of your solution. And that's where a lot of sales reps miss up. They, they forget to add in the, the connection between who you're talking to and the actual value prop and solution you provide. And then the last thing is novelty. So how can you show up in a you know unique way? Uh, a common way that I think is becoming more common practice is video prospecting. Um, or hitting someone up on in like a LinkedIn direct message using their video uh, app. But those three things together combine for a really robust email. And I think if you have elements of those three, you'll be able to set the stage to present your product or present your solution and speak to the pain point in context. That's interesting because I often find, and I don't know if you agree, that many, um, because we're time poor, we don't take the time to um, really develop our quality messaging. So in order to have the not the obvious personalization, you need to get to know that person, perhaps read their more than their profile, their content, what they're saying. And that means it's an investment of time. 
So how do you encourage people to invest a little bit of time to slow down in order to speed up and make sure that that email really kind of gets the message across in a personalized way? I mean, I think the stats prove that that's worth the time and investment. Um, so, I mean, to answer that question simply, it's just helping them understand what their numbers are from a baseline perspective and then trying a trajectory towards some realistic goals. So if I work with a rep and their email open rates are 35%, then we know we need to spend some time on subject lines because I might have a cohort of peers that are doing 42%. And I might say to that rep, how do we get you to 40%? What does that look like? And they might say, well, I could send more emails. And I would say, do you really think that there's a correlation between sending more and having a higher open rate? And I think when they really stop and think about that, the answer is no. So we have to take a quality-based approach to that. So just giving them context of where they are in relation to peers or industry standards can really help. Um, the other thing, too, is just using the old adage of, you know, Abraham Lincoln said, if I have six hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the force for sharpening the axe. And you really want to make sure that when you take that swing, it's the best swing you can, really well thought out, specifically crafted for that audience, uh, who, you know, whoever the target audience is. Right. Um, that's really, really interesting uh, that you're actually taking their stats and using mm -hmm. their stats in order to um, prove the the argument. Um, Can I say why that's important, too? Yeah. Um, those stats become an identifier for the rep. So once they start to identify with their craft, I think it's easier to take it more personally, to take it more seriously, as opposed to just this work that you're doing, it's it's work that is you. And that leads to a whole host of conversations about identity and, and sales. But I just do think that being able to understand your numbers and take ownership of that as if you're your own business really helps a rep um, increase their dedication to the craft. But also they don't always know what, what great looks like. They don't know what the standards are. So you are also putting it in that context, aren't they? Because we right. all think we're doing brilliantly. We all think we're amazing. So we get some <laughs> context and then we realize, yeah. 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 We can be always be improving. Exactly. That I, I, I love that. I certainly um work with from a stats um database um where we have assessed over well over 1.5 million salespeople and so we know what great looks like across various you know industries particular markets and and um i i really do love using um data to measure up what great looks like otherwise you know we're just flying in in the wind and it helps us to work more efficiently and effectively by doing that so i i, I love your taking that that uh, approach as as well so in terms of training and coaching in, in, in sales enablement, um, why do you think it's really important to have this kind of 360 learning nowadays? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of enablement managers and sales coaches in general, that includes you know, regular sales managers, um, they tend to take on too much of the burden to teach. Um, Part of that is because they're responsible for that team's number. So as I was just saying, you know, when you take ownership of a number, you you tend to be more dedicated to that craft. But I found that in my experience as a manager, enablement director, and currently enablement manager um, at a larger organization, that there's there's great value in peers not only learning from one another, but being able to teach one another. 
it starts to expose some of those knowledge gaps that exist. We just talked about that. Best is is elusive. It's not something we ever catch. It's something that we pursue. And so a rep helping one shows them, okay, I have some context here. I, I know a little bit more than a peer. Then they turn around and they might learn from another. And it starts to create this sort of growth mindset amongst that individual and amongst the team to say, hey, we don't know everything that there is to know about this. But if we pursue that, we can get better. And we can learn that from our boss, obviously. But if our boss gives us the autonomy and the space to learn from each other, I think that helps growth faster. Isn't there, a, there's a, um, I, I don't know who, who to quote, but you know, you become a master of something when you're able to teach it because we only then know we understand it when we can teach it. We can repeat things verbatim, but it doesn't necessarily mean we really understand it. And it's only in teaching that you know you understand it. So I, th- I think it's great creating a culture where we're learning from one another and teaching one another. It helps with the collaboration, um, but also that kind of shared mindset as, as, as well. So it's not just the skill you're learning, it's the mm-hmm. culture that you're embedding as, as well. I love that. Yeah, culture is huge for me as a leader. I think that um, culture is kind of this invisible force on a team. <laughs> a lot of people think about it in... Um, less than practical, less than tangible terms, but it really can make or break the the morale of a team, which is important in sales and the growth of a team, which is also important in sales. So you can't yeah. neglect it. And it, it, sales is often has, or in the past, it's worked in silos. And, that, and often you'll still find that in organizations, it's it, you know, that they're very siloed. So how do you, in terms of the, your go-to-market function, how do you ensure because certainly in sales enablement, you're having to work with all aspects of the, the revenue generating operations. But how do you ensure that you do have the collaborations across functions? I'm a big fan of setting up and establishing channels for communication. And so that starts by first understanding who are your various stakeholders. If you don't have that first understanding of deeply who they are, what they're doing, their function in the organization, that's going to challenge your opportunity to interact with them and and create meaningful work together. Secondly, is then creating those channels for communication I just alluded to. So do I have meetings on the books that are recurring? And it doesn't have to always be weekly. Some of them are even quarterly. So as long as there's an established channel for communicating, then that helps funnel the opportunities and funnel the different projects into a specific time and place where you can communicate about it. If you leave everything up to like these ad hoc factors where you're just reaching out when when the emergency comes up, that relationship hasn't been established and you have to kind of start from scratch each time. So I think a big part of it is just really building that relationship with stakeholders ahead of time so you understand how you might be able to support one another. So whose responsibility is it to do that? I mean, I... I personally put that on myself. So I would challenge whoever the state, you know, person is trying to build relationships to put that on themselves. But I guess if you're asking between enablement and some of these other organizations, I would say enablement. I personally feel that responsibility for my title um, and for people that are in that role to be the 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 central piece in this hub and spoke sort of model. Um, you can become a connector of a lot of different parts of the org if you do an enablement right. Right, right. So working with uh, within sales organizations, how do you develop the buyer and customer centricity? 
Can you elaborate a little bit more on that question? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a relationship between being customer centric, buyer centric and revenue growth. And so you need to develop a particular culture, as you mentioned, how important that is, that we're very much focused on the buyer, not only in terms of, you know, like from the whole organization, collaboratively, we're focused on the the buyer and the buyer's outcome. So working with organizations, how do you make that happen? Yeah, I think as organizations, we have a good sense of where the destination is. Where things get challenging is when you try and determine the direction that you go in to get there. So buyers are going to be reluctant for a variety of reasons. They're going to have objections at different points in the sales process. And so you've got to be able to be malleable with that specific customer, their specific pain points, their timeline, et cetera. And it's not to say that you have completely removed all you know, aspects of the revenue generating that side of it or the sales side of it. But you do have to allow that customer to feel a sense of agency as they navigate. There's a balance there. You want to be that consultant. You want to be that expert that guides them along the way. But like someone climbing a mountain, you can't climb it for them, right? They're going to make their lefts. They're going to make their rights. And they're going to get tired, need breaks. Uh, so I just try and you know help my reps understand from a rep level, like, yes, this is the destination the outcome we're trying to get to. But you have to work with that specific buyer to see how you get there. Um, and if you have that sort of buyer-centric approach, I think you can move people through a funnel much more quickly as opposed to these rigid, this is where we go and then this is where we go and why aren't we on time yet? That sort of rigidity in a buyer journey can really, I think, stall and if not kill a lot of deals. The, the thing with the but of the sales process, often they do have that, well, it's a process, isn't it? And they have that rigidity and they want to, they have metrics that's aligned to different um a- aspects and points in, in the journey. So you've you've got a challenge there, haven't you, really? Because you you want it to be streamlined and simplified and process driven, but also you want it to be um uh aligned with really how the buyer wants to buy so how do you how do you navigate those challenges yeah. between the two the quality of answers we receive in life is directly proportional to the quality of questions that we ask and so i would say that the most important thing you can do is to ask great discovery questions along the way it's really powerful great questions they give people they're empowering because you're giving someone a platform to offer their views, to offer their fears, their hopes, their expectations. So being able to draw that information out of a prospect throughout the sales process is going to give you what you need to be able to serve them better. So to give you the simple answer, it's to ask great questions. Love it. Love it. Excellent. Okay. So what practical strategy would you um, uh, advise to enable buyers to buy? Hmm. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about the buyer being, you know, the person responsible for their growth in the process. I would say for B2B buyers in particular, really understanding who your various stakeholders are. I know when I was in a buyer position, one of the early frustrations I had was understanding who all needed to be pulled into a decision-making process. I thought it would be as simple as just having my manager talk to them and, you know, we come up with a number. It's not always that simple. You have to go work with finance. You might have to work with an adjacent team on the go-to-market function. So really understanding who your various stakeholders are. The second thing is timeline. 
As frustrating as timelines can be for sellers, I think they can be equally frustrating for buyers. Um, so understanding when you need what is really important. You can set proper expectations and really have a pleasant buyer experience if you've done that well with your seller. At least that way they understand, hey, this is not a Q1 initiative. This is something that's going to take place in Q2 at the earliest. Now you've established those boundaries and the seller can work with you at a pace that works for you, as opposed to if you leave something like that ambiguous, they're going to be pushing you in a way that might not help the sales process. And you might miss out on an opportunity just because you didn't set those proper expectations. I think it's really interesting uh, what you say, Blake. I remember um, on a previous um, podcast, um, my guest said that today, uh, 30% of the, the process is actually on sales methodology. But actually, 70% or more of the process is on deal management. And that's mm-hmm. really, you know, what you've just said in terms of asking the, you know, the, the questions, quality questions, and really understanding the process the buyer has to go through, who are the stakeholders, and making sure you communicate and have everyone aligned. So you're almost, it's not that you're doing the job for the buyer, but often depending on the type of product, maybe the first time that buyer has been through that process. Right. So you're having to work with them to navigate and make sure all the right people in place. We often lose deals because we haven't engaged with a particular stakeholder that may be influencing the deal or have, have something else in, in, in mind. It's always more complicated than we think. Mm-hmm. So would you would you agree with that? It's, um, that the it's really about managing the deal now than kind of selling the methodology. I, I do agree. You know, the methodology is think about it, it's like your form if you're running a race. Deal management is making sure you hit each checkpoint. Right. Yeah. And in order to finish the race, you're gonna have to hit those checkpoints. So understanding what those checkpoints are, maybe you don't have this like rigid. A, then B, then C, that's fine. But as long as you understand how your your deal is moving throughout its phase is what's really important. Fabulous, fabulous. Now, you mentioned um, video messaging before and, and mm-hmm. the in, importance of, of that in terms of in, uh, scaling sales. So can you talk more about that? Yeah, for me, my foray into video prospecting was very simple. It was during the pandemic and everybody was in a unique state from a buyer perspective and also from a seller's perspective. And I felt like in order for me to cut through the noise, I had to show them my humanity. And my my mantra personally was, if they're going to say no, they're going to have to say no to the real me. And it was interesting by showing up on camera, being a human, being a real face to my pitch, it was really well received. Um, just from A, the novelty of it, people had not seen you know a video message in their LinkedIn you know inbox before. Uh, so that was something that was really helpful from the novelty perspective, but also just from ability to present, you know, pains and solutions and have that space. Sometimes it doesn't quite come across the same way in text or even over a cold call. Sometimes you have to have that like eye to eye connection and for it to really hit home. Um, so I think those two factors, novelty and the relevance of video prospecting really helped. I think it's interesting, Blake, that it's still a novelty, isn't it? All these years yeah. later, many people are still are, are not using or forget. I, even I forget that it's there, you know, and I will, you know, text or as I could easily have just quickly on my mobile and it is on mobile still. It is a mobile you know, app, yeah. yeah, mobile app, you know, uh, send a video. So, yeah, thank you for that. 
All right. Well, who is your hero or shero, Blake? Hmm. Well, two was it three days ago? My mom had her birthday, and next month is going to be International Women's Month. So, I would have to say my mom. Yeah. My mom is my hero. She's uh she's been through a lot in her life, and I know that she sacrificed a lot for me to be where I am in life. Um. So for me, she's modeled resiliency. She's modeled confidence humility and those are all things that you know traits i'd like to pursue in my life as well but she's been a great example for me and a great encouragement throughout the entirety of my life excellent that's wonderful thank you very much for that and to your mom as well yeah she's she's the best (laughs) love you mom so how can listeners get hold of you blake i'm very simple to find you can go find me on linkedin um, blake hudson and uh, from there, there's a whole host of things. I post content. I've got the link to my course on the page if you're looking for interview prep. Um, but yeah, I, I, I try to be not too hard to find. I try and create enough content where people can see, oh, you're the plate guy. You're the confidence guy in sales. So um, that's where. And I must say that you're a very cool guy, Blake. Oh, this is the- <laughs> thank you. I've been following you, but I haven't actually spoken to you before. But yeah, you you've, you make me feel very relaxed. <laughs> That's encouraging to hear. You know, I've, I'm starting to notice more and more like we all have our own unique vibe. Uh, we carry this different type of energy within us. And what's really devastating is when people think that theirs isn't enough. They have to be like someone else. Mm. You know, I try and I don't try. I just naturally kind of keep it in low gear, you know, first, second gear. And you've got some folks that are like super high energy all the time. Um, that and it's also 6 a.m. here it's Pacific time so (laughs) um, still you know just getting getting started with the day yeah well it's it's great it's really cool thank you so much for being a guest on scale yourselves podcast it's really interesting hearing about your your interview um, uh, course and you know what what you're doing in sales enablement so thank you very much for being a guest on scale yourselves podcast Blake You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.